Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. recording i'm recording too i'm recording we're all recording let's start the podcast everybody hi this is andy richter uh and you've tuned into the uh, three questions again and uh i am uh, lucky enough to talk today to a prodigy to a <laughs> i don't know can you be a prodigy anymore or you were I think a prodigy. once you're in your 30s, you're not really a prodigy. Unless it's for unless it's for like wheelchair races or something, probably or walker races, maybe. Yeah, which is um, really famously known as the second wind of life, a wheelchair race. <laughs> no, what I'm speaking to Adam Rippon is Rippon right or Rippon? Rippon is completely Ripon is right. right. Yes. All right. Good. Good. Um, who is I, I, you're the first Olympian I think I've ever spoken to. Uh, really, I hope podcast. not the last too. I no, hope this no, is I'll be, I, I'll full be getting, of them. Yeah, I'll probably have like the you know the women's soccer team on next week and stuff. Like yeah, that. Phelps is um, Phelps is in line. <laughs> yes. Simone Biles is on. She's on standby. Michael Phelps. I don't. I don't feel like Michael Phelps would be a good hour. I'm just guessing. I, I you don't have to a, say anything. I mean, I don't know. I don't know him at all, but I do feel right, like right. it's a fair guess. Um, well, how are you? I've, um, I'm fantastic and I'm Good. so happy to be here. I'm so happy we get to chat. This is going to be great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we actually, well, we, you and I have been Twitter pals for a while. Yes. Um, and uh, I mean, and I obviously heard about you when most of the country did, which was in 2018 when you became the first out gay olympian correct for the u.s um in the winter games yes oh somebody beat you to the summer games <laughs> yeah uh, and then do I have to, and i hang up now i turned to dust <laughs> <laughs> no no it's just you know i guess it's just easier to be gay when the weather's warm that's probably yeah. the deal yeah. i think that is kind of the natural that's what they do so that's kind of like the um the motto of the Trevor Project. It's it's easier to be gay if the weather's warm. <laughs> if if you're what, in a nice climate. Yeah, they always say that. It gets better if it's warmer is the end of yeah. that, like, that, that little pocket of information. Well, I mean, I well, we'll get to that when we get there. Um, because, you know, this is kind of, we kind of go in a chronological order here. Um, but you're originally, you're a Pennsylvanian, correct? Is that it? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. And you you don't live there anymore. You live here. No, right? 
Yeah, I do live here. Yeah, yeah I haven't yeah. lived in. I've I've lived in uh, L.A. for I, like almost ten years. This will. Oh wow! This will be my ten years. Yes. And, and you like it? Do you feel like it's home, or is it? Uh... Yeah, it's home. I love it. I've never lived in like the Hollywoods or like in the middle of it all. Um, I lived in South Bay for most of my time living in California, and now I live out on the east. That's side. like long. That's like Long Beach for people, right? Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. well, I told everyone Manhattan Beach, but my address was Hawthorne. So really living a lie for about eight years. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. You know, I know. now now I'm hanging up on you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just too many things being dug up. <laughs> and now and now you live kind of east side, right? Yeah, I live in Pasadena now. Oh, nice. Pasadena is gorgeous. I love hot, it here. but gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in me, Burbank. Very me. I'm in Burbank because uh, I just, I like to plunk down in one place where nothing's happening. And that's, <laughs> that's Burbank for me. I really uh, love Burbank though. I like Burbank. I do too. I really do too, because it is kind of its own little world. Um, and I just, I actually just saw a screening of the, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, uh, Licorice Pizza. It's a new one coming out. Mm -hmm. And um, he grew up in the valley and the movie's kind about the valley, like some of his movies. And like he pointed out because he did a discussion afterwards, he pointed out and just I'd never thought about it. that like the history of Hollywood is largely like the history of the valley, you know, like. The, oh, yeah. Like most everything that you're going to be watching and that is like where the glitz and the glamour is. It's from the valley. It's from, you know, Burbank. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, Burbank is the center of the world. Yes. Yes. Especially if you like kebabs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, our now, big apple. <laughs> you're the oldest of quite a few, aren't you, in a Catholic family? Yeah, obviously my Catholic roots kind of coming through in the in the form of children, number of siblings. Um, I'm the oldest of six. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Are you jealous? Uh, no, no, but okay. I do know right. you're, you know, you probably learned how to change a diaper at a very early age. Oh yeah. I was changing diapers by the time I was like 11. Yeah. 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 No, I have a younger half brother and sister who are twins who are nine years younger than me. So that was always like, especially having twins in the house. It was just, there was no, there was no time to be squeamish about it. It was just, no, it was, <laughs> it was yeah. just, Here's a, here's a shit-filled diaper kid. Change him. I remember of, um, like, my first experience with, like, a sibling and their own poop was, like, one time we were driving, and my mom turned around, and uh, she looked at my sister, and she goes, who gave her a peanut butter sandwich? And as you can imagine, it unfortunately wasn't a peanut butter sandwich that she was eating, my sister was eating her own shit out of her diaper. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh so my god! I'm gonna leave. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is unbelievable! Yeah. Wow. And this sister today is she? Is she well? Is she? Uh... Well, physically, I don't know about <laughs> mentally after that. <laughs> That's really something too to be like in a car seat, get the diaper off, and then start snacking. Yeah, that's, I mean, just to, to reach in and go, I can't believe this was in here all along. 
Oh my God, that's terrible. My daughter, one time we were walking down just like, you know, like a, a, a grassy LA kind of Hancock Park street. And we were walking along and she was probably about three or four. Uh, and I, I heard her go, and I looked down and she had a tampon applicator in her mouth <laughs> that she'd found on the ground and was playing it like a little trumpet. Oh, and the horror that you feel. Just... Oh my God. That is actually so funny. Like, look at me. Here's look what I found. <laughs> yeah, instrument. here's some fanfare for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny because I get, I, I, to my knowledge, and I'm not like super hung up on birth order, but to my knowledge, you're like, I think you're like one of the few oldest that I've had. I have lot, there's lots of youngest people mm. on this show and lots of middle, like I'm a middle. And I do think that like, you know, because I talk to different kinds of people, mostly comedians, but usually, you know, like um, attention-starved weirdos uh, is sort of the catch-all, and right. <laughs> it's usually middles and and the babies that are like used to being like the plaything and you know not having to really worry about anything or have any fear about the world. So, uh, was was being the oldest like? Is there a burden to that? Like, do you feel like a responsibility for that? There is definitely a burden to it. And also being the oldest, you're the guinea pig. Like you are the science yep. project of your parents. And I think especially as you get older, you see how they've like changed the recipe of being a parent. And how Absolutely. like when I see what my mom did with my um, youngest sibling, I'm like, my mom, I would have been castrated and I would have yeah. been killed. My mom would have yeah. murdered me. Um but I do think that there is something to be said about like people in entertainment and in comedy and stuff that are the youngest or in the middle, because you're always trying to get like the attention of your family and mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to like entertain everyone. And I think for me that came because I uh, wasn't living at home when I was younger. I was like about 12 or 13 when I started like moving and like living away from home during the week because I was training and I was skating. Yeah. And so I was always at like other people's houses and I was like living with other people and I was kind of like on my, like, you know, on my own and like figuring out, you know, how to, you know, get around as like a, a tw any 12 year olds taking a Greyhound bus would do. Um, <laughs> and um, I think like because of that, I was always kind of like the baby in these situations. So a lot of my friends, if they didn't know I had siblings, always thought I was the baby because I was always, yes, like you said, starved for attention. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, and were you young, the youngest in a lot of these uh, situations too? Yeah, I was yeah. A, in the, the youngest in a lot of these situations that I'd get thrown into. It'd be like me and a bunch of like older people. And I think because they thought like, oh, these people could be like your chaperone. Right, and so I right. was like always, you know, I and I think like that, like deflection of like not wanting to be teased or being, you know, made fun of or whatever that you like take that and you use it as like ammo to like then entertain everyone. Right, right. And also, too, I imagine these are like teenagers you're with, like 16 year old, 70. Yeah, nothing yes. better than like putting uh, a 12 year old in the care of 
16 year olds because they say that medically yeah that that's nothing is <laughs> nothing is more sound than yes. um a child going through puberty that to take care of another child <laughs> yep they're known for their good judgment yeah it was um, Fauci who said that very recently kind of like in a in a conjuncted with all of the vaccine stuff it just kind of got <laughs> lost in there yeah yeah well wait how now tell me about that transition you're living at you know, you start skating. You're just yes. a kid at home in Philadelphia or in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, you start skating. And how does that become like, oh, you're so good at this that you should go live elsewhere? And isn't that daunting and scary? And how does your folks, how do your folks deal with it? I think it's daunting and scary if I think of it now. But when yeah. you don't know any better, it's less scary. Um I think, uh, I mean, like when I was young, I would do everything I could to make sure that I could like go and skate and that natural and slow progression of like, how do you go from just being like at your local rink to then traveling away? So I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I would go out to like Philadelphia and that's where I would train. That's where I trained the first like few years of when I skated. And basically that started because there were different competitions out in Philadelphia and I'd go and do them like over a weekend or something. And my mom saw that I really liked skating and was taking it really seriously. So I signed up for a few of like a, like a summer camp or like a little clinic that they would have at like a rink in Philadelphia. And uh, when I would go there, I would like improve a lot within these like four days of being at this camp. And so then that turned into me going to those a little bit more regularly and then have, finding someone that I was working with more consistently out there. And then I slowly started spending more and more time out there to the point where like my mom was driving me out there, which was like about two hours, um, about once or twice a week. And then that kind of progressed into me needing to be out there a little bit more often. So like a Monday through Friday situation. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just a more serious like training mentality. So there were other families who like lived there and had other like children that skated and stuff. So like I would then start to like live with those families and stuff. And they kind of, you know, they felt like my own family, but I was always like super grateful. So it wasn't just me like getting thrown to the wolves. The only time I really right. felt like I was like, Wow, I'm on my own. It's just like uh, taking the Greyhound bus every Monday morning. And then like for every Friday night, taking the Greyhound back to like to Scranton. That was. Yeah, that, yeah. That's my grind. And this is into Philly? I took it into Philly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, are you going to school? Like, do you go to the local school or do you have tutors or what? So when I was uh first starting s to skate i was like in school regularly and then when i was going to philadelphia a few times a year or a few times a week um i was skipping wednesdays and so like i would go to philadelphia on wednesday and saturday and then the school was saying that i was missing like too many days i couldn't do that next year and so then i started to do like um uh i was uh homeschooled for the rest of like my grade school career um, my grade school career as yeah, yeah. it's really very lucrative, known as. very lucrative, very, career. very lucrative, um, which was kind of a hot mess. Um, and so when, when I gra graduated eighth grade, as a lot of people do in this country, um, <laughs> I then did most of my, uh, high school online. Um, so I did, I had like a, I had like real teachers in high school, but oh, I was okay. doing it online. Yeah. Oh, wow.
Yes. Yeah, oh, well, that's nice that online actually existed then. You know. Yeah, it was nice that it existed because I can tell you that my mom and I were not a good teacher-student combo. I bet. Yeah. 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 No, I. I uh, when when my kids started to uh, have to do homework, I just. I did like any good LA parent and I just threw money at it and hired uh, <laughs> a couple of times a week, a tutor to come in and help them because like, especially my daughter, my daughter who, I mean, everybody in my family has ADD, but my daughter was like a, when she was younger was <laughs> like a, a wild animal just in terms of ADD. <laughs> and uh, when fourth grade rolled around, which was, which was homework time, I would come home from work and I mean, and I had a cush, you know, my life was cushy and TV wise. I'd come home, you know, six, six o'clock, but almost all of fourth grade from when I got home till when she went to bed was just about her homework because it was uh. just such a struggle to get her to focus on it and to do it. And we quickly figured out like, oh, if we hire a stranger <laughs> to come do it, she does it immediately. Like she's like there's no fucking around. Cause it's like, yeah, eh, you know what? Is, that she wants to please the stranger, her parents. She doesn't give a shit about. Exactly. Um, That's why the online yeah. in high school that, that worked for me really well. Cause my like biggest fear was like disappointing my, I don't like art appreciation teacher over a Skype yeah, call. Yeah. Couldn't imagine yeah. anything worse than yep, that. Yep. My daughter, my daughter now who's an excellent student in high school is going through that where one of her grades is slipping and she's, her main problem with, and it's slipping to a fucking B and, uh, <laughs> and she's whenever like the big worry she is, is that the teacher will think that she is not appreciating the teacher's labor enough. And I'm just, like, I've oh never seen God. someone so eye to eye than your daughter right now in this moment. <laughs> oh, but I mean, it's just like, the you're worried about the teacher feeling bad. Oh my God. God. Yeah. It's like there is like some sort of neuroses that are just baked in that are just like you come out of the womb with them as like time release mind fuckers. You know? Truly. Uh, it's like yeah. I know for in my family, it's definitely we like live with a lot of Catholic guilt. We love it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we we grow it. We yeah, yeah we, we do nurture it, it, water it, take care of it. Yeah. Um, well, now when you're doing, I mean, are you, you're so immersed in skating at such an early age. Is there, it, are you able to maintain that? Like your love of it? Does it, does, is it continuous or are there times when it's tough? When you, when you have such a, you know, there's this one thing in your life that's such a monolith, which is, I mean, unusual when you're a teen in your early teens, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, usually you got lots. Of, well, I mean, I guess some kids get crazy about a particular sport and they, that's what they do. But to go away from home is is particular, you know? Yeah, I think like there's certain things where, um, yeah, like, obviously, yes, I made a lot of like sacrifices myself if I look back, but in the moment, none of those felt like sacrifices, like, you know, yeah. not, you know, having a lot of friends, not going out and doing anything like when you're in high school. Um, none of that felt like a sacrifice. It still doesn't because it was like I got to do something I really liked um, instead. And I felt really lucky that I was able to do that. And I had to like prove and like really 
earn it from my parents because my mom was a single mom. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I was, I, I really would do everything I could to prove that like all of these like sacrifices and me not being at home and everything, it was like, it was worth it. So it felt yeah. like, you know, I was put, I put a lot of pressure on myself when I was young. Um, <clears throat> but I think that like anything anyone does in their life, if they do it for a long time, their love of it evolves and changes and it doesn't stay like consistently one thing you have to find new things that like you appreciate and love about it yeah um and i think like by the end of my career by the time i was getting ready for an olympic games the thing that i loved the most was i loved the training and i loved like that that structure and i loved like pushing myself to like my limits every day and the biggest thing i loved was like the entertainment part of it Mm -hmm. And so, like, I worked really hard at home so that when I could go to a competition, I could just, like, entertain and, like, relax and put on a nice performance. And, like, if I was giving an interview or whatever, like, I could, you know, joke around and have fun with whomever was there because I was relaxed. I was ready. And, like, those those were the things that I, like, focused on. And that's where, like, my love of it came. And I was, you know, I was, you know, in good shape. I was really thin so you know what could be better <laughs> I, I've, I've never encountered that i have no idea what that's like uh, <laughs> i mean I've, I've i've forgotten since so <laughs> oh yeah you're a real porker come on <laughs> life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Well, okay, first of all, what? how old were you when your folks split? Mm, if I may ask. You may. I was um, I was 15, I think. Oh, okay. 15, yeah. So you'd already kind of, y- you were out of the house a lot. Did you miss a lot of kind of whatever strife led up to the split? <sighs> yeah, like I, I was home for like, you know, some of the like dramatic moments of, you know, my parents and us and figuring out that they're getting a divorce and like what does that mean and stuff um but i think sometimes the hard thing for me was like i'd get i would not be home for a whole week and then get like plopped and then basically kind of get like the cliff notes from a parent or like a sibling of like what's going on and like 
you know, dad's moving like five minutes away. And like, you know, it was just, it was, I, I just wasn't a part of a lot of like that stuff. So I felt a little disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, and I'm really grateful that I had my skating and everything. Cause I didn't, I, I felt like less involved in that, that craziness. Yeah. Um, Do you think it so had I, a big, a bigger effect on your siblings that were there? Um, I mean, I think it had a different effect. I think for me, it was like a, it was a big effect as well, just in a different way, because like, it was all of a sudden, like, if I was going to keep skating, it was like my mom who had to like, fully figure out how to do that. And, you know, she was now going to be, you know, you know, my, my dad was still helping out with my other siblings, but it was like, my mom and I were going to figure out the skating thing. So there was just more pressure to like, really step up and, um, you know, if I was just having fun with it, like I couldn't just be, keep going to Philadelphia. If I just wanted to have fun, I could do it at home. But if I really wanted yeah, to yeah. be serious about it, I really needed to like step up. Is it expensive? Like, was it an expensive thing to do too? You know, it's funny because um, in like our, yes, first, the short answer is yes, it's expensive. Um, the longer answer is that all of the winter sports are the, it's the, they're the more expensive sports of all of the Olympic sports. Um, there are less like team aspects to it. Um, but even when you get to a team sport like hockey, there's like equipment that's really expensive. There's skates, there's ice time involved. Um, and then, um, uh, as like an elite skater, like when at the very end of my career, like I was, I had a coach and my expenses were on the really low end because I was like pretty broke. Um, so when I first like moved to California, I lived in my coach's basement because I couldn't like afford to live anywhere else. Um, I had a, like, I, I, when I first moved to California, it was like Lake Arrowhead. Um, yeah. Cause there was like a big, there used to be a big training center there. So I moved to Lake Arrowhead and my coach was like, you need to have a car. Cause like, you can't just be like a mountain person or like your brain is going to melt. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> but he was right. And so yes. I was like, I will, um, I'll like lease the cheapest car I can find because I I would need to go up and down like this mountain. And I was like, I can't get like a car that's going to shit out on the mountain or I'm going to die. Yeah, right. And I right. don't want to die in like Arrowhead. There's a million no. places that I could die and Arrowhead is not one of them. <laughs> or on, um, the, on the hill on the drive down from Lake Arrowhead. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to die on the 189. <laughs> um, and so I was like, I'll lease a Jetta. So I like, I leased a Jetta. I had it for maybe two days before, like, they were like, actually, we re- ran your credit. We need the car back. So, like, I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, rock bottom. So my coach was like, I'll, I explained it to him. He co-signed my lease for the car. Um, and then, like, I just, like, slowly started to, like, m- like make money. Because at this point, I was trying to, I was paying for it all on my own. It was like, yeah. I just, I was in my early 20s. Um and I needed to pay for it on my own because it was just like, if I can't figure this out, I can't like if I can't figure this out on my own, I, I can't do this and I'll figure it out. And so I was really lucky with all the people around me that like did help me and stepped up because I wouldn't have n- never been able to do it on my very own. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Basically, like if we do a program like uh, to like what we would compete with, we compete with it for a whole year. The low end of getting um, a short program done would be like 3000 and the high end of getting one done would be 10000 
And what do you mean first, getting getting one done? So to like work with a choreographer. Oh, okay. To like so to choreograph to, the whole to piece. build one for yourself. Yes. Yes. And so that's um, anywhere between three and ten thousand for to work wow. with like a good choreographer. And then for you have another program which is anywhere between uh, about five and ten thousand. Wow. And then you have your coach who you pay and who you work with, and my. Um, an elite skater would probably work with their coach at least like 30 to 30 minutes to an hour a day. My coach's hourly rate was 145 an hour. Wow. So what my coach did, cause he knew I was pretty, but really broke. And so what he decided was that like, I could, I would work with him and I would take a 15 minute lesson twice a week. And then when he had other lessons, he would bring me in and I would be like a demonstrator for him and I would help him. So like he was working with me, but I was actually helping him with his other lessons, but I was still getting like eyes on me and instruction. So he found ways to make it affordable for me, um, which, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it had it not. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, we have costumes and ice time and all of that other stuff. Sure. Uh, How, um, how are you making money at this time? I mean, do you, do you win prize money in these things or, you know? So, at, so when, um, I, when I first moved to California, it was like, that's when I really started from zero. And so I started to teach a little bit so I could make a little money teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go to competitions. And like, if you go, if you're at a certain level, you get invited to these, like, uh, they're called like Grand Prix events. Mm-hmm. And um, there's prize money from like, First, all the way down to I think like maybe fifth or sixth. Um, the real money is in like the medals. If you would like get any in that fourth to sixth range, you're just kind of getting enough to like cover expenses of that trip and maybe like a, a month of ice or something. Mm. So <clears throat> I was just kind of making a like enough money to kind of get by, and then you would do like different shows like at a club or some, like a skating club in some random city or something like Wyandotte uh-huh. or like you'd go to like the uh, colonial figure skating club in Boston or like you just yeah. like, would go to these places and you do like a club show and you'd get paid like, you know, one or two thousand dollars, which is like, a you know, a lot of money in that yeah. scheme of things. Um, and so you would do that like in your off season, like in the summertime and you'd collect money that way. And sometimes you would get to do a bigger tour and you'd get a few more thousand dollars. So like your money was kind of coming from competitions and shows. I see. So there's no place in here for like a, to work at Wendy's, you know, like there's no, or is there? I mean, like other, there are some skaters like, you know, uh, this is like, uh, Home Depot has like an incentive to like work with them if you're an Olympian or or, like on an Olympic track. So like there's some sort of like things like that. Also, like if you really want to cut expenses, you can move to one of the Olympic training centers if you're a certain level. And we have one in Chula Vista. I'm like, I'm like selling it to you. Like maybe you'd want to do this. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) Once I get the new knee. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, like so, we have one in Colorado Springs. 
I throw up. Um, Lake Placid and Chula Vista. (laughs) And so you can move into them and you don't pay rent and you don't pay Uh. for food and stuff. So there are different ways for you to like save money. And there's a lot of athletes that live at the Olympic Training Center because it is so um, inexpensive. But not all of the best coaches are in Colorado Springs. So Mm. it's, you know, it's there are ways to cut corners, but like it's yeah, it can be tough. Is it is it weird going through your teen years in this kind of like, do you get a weird socialization that you feel is different than most people by doing this? I mean, are you because you're kind of in a bubble and you're just like you end up knowing skaters, right? You you know, totally. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you get you're totally in a bubble. I think like in a way like you get in a bubble if you just did one thing all day. Right. Sure. Right. Um, I think the the fun part about it is, is that like. um you make a lot of friends from all over the place. Yeah. And so like a lot of your friends don't like live where you live. Some of them train with you or you like skate with them every day. Um, But I will say that because like you're in such a pressure filled environment where like you go out, you compete on your own and sometimes it goes really well and people see what kind of winner you are. And sometimes you go out and it goes really bad and they see what kind of loser you are. And they all like those people that you're around, your peers really get to know you in your highest of highs and lowest of lows. So those people know you really well. And a lot of the friends I grew up with, like I've known them now for like 15, 20 years. They're still some of the best friends I have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's because of just being like in so many like high stakes, you know, high stakes feeling uh, um, uh, uh, events and you know them. And of course, like the socialization is bizarre. It's weird, yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. you know, it was my normal, I guess. Now, Wendy, wh- when does it kind of start? I mean, you came out here when you were t- early 20s. Yeah, 21. When does it when does it really start to feel like, OK, this is working out and this is paying off? And is there is there an incident or a, a, a title that makes that feeling happen? I would say the first time I felt like, oh, I could actually like go to an Olympics or like I could be a national champion. The first time I ever felt that I was like 17, 18 ish. Um, And I um, was like a junior world champion. And I was like, okay, I could because then all of a sudden it was like this was like in 2008, 2009. So like we were coming up on an Olympics and um, I was like, okay, like I really could make an Olympic team in 2010. Like it's not out of the question. Yeah. And once like that conversation was like around me, I started to feel like, okay, shit, I could really get it together. And then um, I didn't, I was an alternate for the team in 2010. And so then at that point I was like, I'm on track to go to an Olympics. Mm-hmm. And then I really put a lot of pressure on myself because um, the, you know, uh, a lot of people had retired. It felt like the doors were opening and um, I just didn't really step through them ever. Like I had moments of like, oh, I could do this, but then I just was putting a lot of pressure on myself. And then by the time we got to like 2014, um, which I was 24 at this time, it's pretty peak age to be yeah. in my specific sport. Um, so like it's kind of feels like it's going to happen now or never. Um, and I go and I just, I was, you know, doing all right. And there was a moment to like kind of step through and I didn't do it. And Mm -hmm. at that moment I was like, I don't think this is ever going to happen. 
And that conversation around me of like, oh, you can do this was like very much gone. Cause at this mm. point it was like, I was one of the older skaters. Um, it was very unlikely that I would go to an Olympics for the first time being 28. Um, so it like all kind of weaned away and a lot of the opportunities that were around me, they also went away. And um, this was around the time when I moved to California and it was like, I needed to just, I either needed to get it together or stop because it was going to be like really sad. Like yeah. if I didn't get it together. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll just take it one event at a time and like, fuck it. And as soon as I was like, fuck it. And I was doing it and I was like paying for it on my own. And I took real ownership of it. I got a lot of power out of being like, I have nothing to fucking lose and fuck yeah. all of these other teenagers. And um, <laughs> something I think I'll stay to the rest for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> you have to be careful how that phrase gets taken though. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so uh, like, yeah, once I, once I had that sort of mentality, it was like, I felt a lot of power from it. Even though I was o getting older, I was getting better because I stopped like looking around to see like, is like, am I still going to be competitive? I was like, fuck it. If yeah, I'm yeah. still beating the kids, they're just not fucking good enough. It's okay. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll just, I'm not done yet. And so then I just like, I think at that, the, the moments of like really feeling at my lowest in my career in like 2014 and those moments after, that's when I was like, oh, I really can do this. Cause like, I felt like I had nothing to lose. I was just going for it. Um, and it was probably like, when I was young, I felt it. And then when I like got older, I felt it again. And I felt like that power was like, I could do anything if you just have like a fuck it mentality. Yeah. It's it, yeah. It is like when you assume ownership of what you're doing and when you assume ownership of your, your right to be there mm -hmm. and, and you have like a self-assuredness about like, well, I know how to do this thing. It does, it, it creates this, this, cause I like, I often talk when people, you know, have complimented my work. I say, you know, they'll say like, it just seems like, you know, the, you, you don't care, you know, like, but, and it's like, yeah, I don't, but I, I mean, I care, like I want to do a good job, but also too, like the results of it, especially like what I do, if it's, I mean, acting is one thing, cause that's committed to film or video and, and lives forever, but like doing a Conan show, it's like that's there's one every day. Like it's like right. if it's if this one's a little, you know, this one lags a little, or it just creates, you know. Like I had to tell Conan at one point early on, I was like, "Look, it's," and it was just a total rationalization trying to talk him down off a ledge. Some of the shows are not going to be as good because that makes the good shows better. Like you're right. creating a bass note that creates the high notes, which as I'm saying it, I'm thinking like, "Oh, that's pretty good." That's bullshit, but it's <laughs> I, I'm writing good. it down yeah. as you're talking. Like, okay, high notes, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta get, you gotta have shitty days to have good days, which is, which is actually kind of true. But it's like people don't understand that, that you, that, like the, that not caring is like one of the freest things in the world. And yeah, you want to do a good job, and yeah, you're, you're devoted to this thing that you're doing, and you you know, you're a pro, but it's like, eh, you can't, you know, right. It's like worrying it's, about how you look like dancing, you know, like you're just going to look stupid. It's when it's, you stop caring that you, you know, yes. look awesome. Trust me. And it's me. like, it's, it's totally, it's not that you don't care. It's just like, you've let go of this fear of failure. 
and you've yeah. let go of this fear of being embarrassed. Because like if you you mess up and it's and you make a mistake and it doesn't work out, like if you're not afraid of being embarrassed, you'll look back and be like, oh, I could do that differently. That's OK. I'll just let's just do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Whatever. Whatever. What was Fuck your, it. What was your I mean, when when 2014 came around and you had to kind of grapple with maybe doing something different, what was that? What what in your mind was that going to be? Well, so at this point, it was like, I was like, I'm not good at anything else. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, maybe I'll go back to school. Yeah. Um, so there was never for, any college or thought of college? Well, I had, I, because I was traveling around a lot. And then um, by the time I graduated high school, I took a gap year, which I'm still on. Um, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> One I'm of these days. A, a victory lap that yeah. never ends. Um, and so, uh, uh, I, cause I lived in Toronto. I, I really was like, I don't know. I had this thing in my head where I was like, I wanted to go to school. I did not want to do it online. I wanted to go to a campus. Yeah. Um, still my reasoning today. Um, yeah. and so I, uh, by the time, and then by the time I was like graduated high school and was like, I want to go to a school, I moved to like Arrowhead, which obviously isn't known for its educational um, hubs. And right. so I, and then when I moved to, um, LA, it was like, we were getting right in the thick of like the Olympics. And so like our season ends in the summer. So I was like, let me figure out what I want to do. But at first I knew I needed to like make money. So I started coaching and doing like other like skating choreography and stuff. I started doing a lot of that. And I started to make a lot of, um, a lot of, I started to make some money. Yeah. Um, but when I did that, I realized that, like, I felt like I started to skate a little bit better because, like, when I was explaining things, I felt, like, more masterful of, like, other things I was doing. And mm -hmm. I realized that, like, oh, I, I'm a good, like, people person and I'm a really good, like, communicator with someone and I can make, yeah. you know, I can make, break it down for someone and I'm, I'm good at that. And it made me feel like I was good at something else rather than just, like, this one thing where, you know, it's it's crazy like especially being out of olympic sports now it's like um i was at the olympics in tokyo do it like working for nbc and i was watching them and i was like this is completely fucked that like you go out there and everything's over in 10 seconds like <laughs> this is absolutely like has anyone like who greenlit this <laughs> we should rethink this idea and as somebody who did it themselves it made complete sense to me and i'm at like the time yeah yeah i'm like munchausen by proxy and right, i'm right. like i am like everyone is out there and everyone is named gypsy rose blanchard and i'm like you guys <laughs> this is crazy to think yeah. about yeah yeah you're just, yeah, it's like when you're a log being thrown into the wood chipper, you don't really, you don't really notice <laughs> right. like, oh, okay, go ahead, grind me up. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, 
we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, that was something I was, that was actually, that actually is something that touches on something I wanted to talk to you about. And that I often have thought about people that at a young age, especially athletes, especially Olympic athletes, that devote themselves to something that has a very short shelf life in terms of like compared to the length of a human life. Mm-hmm. I always feel the same way about, and I mean, and we'll get to it, but like dancing, like I always feel like people that set out to become Broadway dancers, you want to say like, well, you know, that stops at like 29 or 30, right? You know, like right. it's so fucking cruel and just like such a sausage factory that just like, just grinds up and squirts out. And then when you're done, you're done and goodbye. You know, I, yeah. Uh, how do you, uh, how are you coping with that? Cause at a certain point you have to realize that's where it's heading. That like, like you said yourself, you peak at 24, like, right. Where, where else in the world do you peak? I mean, I'm 55 and I still feel like, well, as soon as I figure it out, I'm really going <laughs> to, as soon as I figure this shit out, I'm really going to start living. Um, yeah, I mean, we and we've been all saying that about you. As soon as he figures it out, <laughs> right, he's right. going to start living. He yeah. is going to apply himself. If he just would apply himself, <laughs> they've been saying since I was eight. <laughs> I mean, it is nuts. And I think that, like, I mean, I don't know. Have you seen that documentary that Michael Phelps won? It's called The Weight of Gold. And they I have inter- not. So in this documentary... um. And it's a really interesting, like, think piece on, like, um, especially American athletes. It focuses on American athletes and um, that expectation you feel of winning and what it's like to step away. And there's so many things that, like, especially if you're, like, a Michael Phelps, like, savant, um, you know, your hands are the size of two tennis rackets. Yeah, yeah. And you're eating 15,000 calories a minute. And you're sucking down 87 octane before you go in the pool. Like, you know, when you're like that and you are just you're winning everything, a lot of things are like taken care taken care for uh, taken care of for you. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're the elite of the elite. And when you're not, it's over and you need to figure out those things. And there's so many things that like sometimes you weren't prepared for. Um, And I think that uh, in a way I was super lucky that I had this sort of like within my career fall from grace where it was like, oh, I know what it's like to like be dropped from your health insurance. I know what it's like to like, you know, you go to the grocery store and your credit card is declined. And it's like, I knew all of those things and I could see for the first time that sausage factory of it all where it's like, you're not the new shiny thing. Um, Someone is next in line and you can either be, you know, upset and jealous or just know that like that's the reality of how this specific career works and um you know i could i had to like figure out how to make my way you know through that um but i also will say that like there's so many things that like you know i do like a, a lot more like comedy and like entertainment stuff now which i really love i've always loved it but like it's a completely different sense of exhaustion at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. It's like your mind is tired, 
But like the hardest thing for me to get over was that like a hard day meant I was physically tired and you can be physically, you know, have just sat down all day or just like done really nothing but like worked hard. And it's a huge like serotonin drop. And it's and it feels like when there aren't these such high pressure stakes and these really high pressure moments, um, it's almost like you're left with the this like feeling of like, what's the point of anything? Mm. Um, even if, you know, a lot of athletes struggle of like, what will I do next? And I felt lucky that I had a lot of opportunities happen quickly and consistently after my Olympics. But it that that feeling of like, what the fuck am I doing? And what's the fucking point? Um, yeah. that, that doesn't leave you for a long time. And there's moments where you like go out of it. But like the biggest thing was like trying to find a routine again and find like a, what, like, what do you f- do for joy? Um, you know, I, I like going to the gym and I like working out, but like for, I didn't go for like three years. Cause like, I didn't know how to go and just like go to feel good. I only knew how to go to like train for an Olympics in a hundred yeah, days. Oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it was just like trying to re like re plant your roots as a normal person and not as like, you know, this isn't the focus anymore. So like find it's, it's like, you just have to rewire your brain and it's yeah. really difficult, but like it's, it ha it has to be done, but it's true. It's like your focus is on one thing that only lasts two weeks and then it's over. So it's 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 a bizarre like dichotomy of like something that happens so quickly and then it's over and then you just move on from it. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's like it it does become I can't I don't know if it's adrenaline, but maybe it is serotonin. Maybe it is like it's just like you become a junkie on this kind of cycle because you just get kind of. It's adrenaline. You have it's to. Just like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like when people are like, I get a runner's high. Um which those people are insane and they yeah, are not fuck well. those people, those people. Yeah. I, I have been, you know, when I started making money, I started paying someone to work out with me because that's the only way that it works for me because mm-hmm. I've, I actually, I just have come to the conclusion that like, and especially the pandemic, I realized like, oh yeah, all the people that I need to make me happy or make me work or make me exercise or make me eat well. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm absolutely deeply profoundly codependent in so many ways. And I just, uh, and, and I've worked on trying to make that better and I do try and make that better, but it's like, I also have to feel like, Nope, that's just how this machine works. I need, I need other people to do it. And I, I just, you know, you have to totally, relate to that i mean like i couldn't i had to start like working out with like a friend of mine because if i if i was just doing it to just just feel good i wanted to like eat both of my eyeballs yeah and i'd be like i don't what do you just feel good what does that even fucking mean well that's and that's (laughs) i mean for me too it's like you know the notion you know, and I started working out with someone and the, the notion that you'll get to a point where, cause like my trainer now I've worked out with him for a long time and we're friends, you know, like we're actually friends now. And he like lives for it. Like he trains people, he, mm-hmm. you know, he does other things, but like he trains people. And when he trains them, he does everything I'm doing. So he has his own workout. Then he works out with me and then he'll go like do crossfit shit too. And I'm just like, when does that happen? I've been 
paying someone to work out with me for <laughs> when like do I almost do the CrossFit half my life. When do I like this? Like when do <laughs> when do I do this and my body doesn't just go stop? Please stop. Stop now. Please stop. Don't do this. It's I you know I, I you know and then the whole notion of like the the other aspect of it too is like as a depressive as just sort of like a, a regular, like, yep, always kind you know, it's always there a little bit as a depressive, the notion of like, it'll help you live longer. It's always kind of like, why would I want, that? why would I want to do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, this, you know, this low level misery you feel if you go and go be on. uncomfortable and sweat and feel <laughs> like, and make your, every bit of your body scream, please stop, go back and sit down. <laughs> You'll live longer. You'll get more misery. Wow. What a deal. <laughs> I know. Love it. And you know, another thing is since we're on that subject, I do think that people with mental illness are attracted and do really well in sports. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a complete distraction. There's like one, um, like within the, I think that like when I retired from competing, I got really depressed I really, it was like the first time I had to like sit down and like do emails and paperwork. And, you know, there's a lot of like following up and corresponding with people. And I was like, I just like couldn't do that. And I yeah. finally started talking to a doctor and um, you know, he was like, I, you have ADHD. And it was like the first time I looked at things that I had done in the past. And of course, like sport was a perfect way to like mask that. Because it was like little goals every single day. You have to go, you have to move all the time. There's like adrenaline. There's all of these many things to like focus on where it's mm -hmm. like there's your attention is always at something. Yeah. And then like it's a distraction. And then when it's over, all of those like outlets to like cope with this are gone. And I think that like a lot of times people find success in sports because it's this outlet that they've never had. Yeah. And then it gets taken away from them or they leave it or whatever. And like they're left to like deal with their own like, oh, shit, I have to figure yeah. this out on my own. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't have like this this big. Big sort of competitive activity that I devote myself into. And also, you know, it's another it's an, yet another area, too, where it's like it totally attracts. People that you know, are very susceptible to having a monomania for themselves. You yes. know what I mean? Like, like a monomania, but then it's also a monomania that involves me doing this by myself over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can't, and it's so easy and I'm like guilty of it myself where you really are so like, not even like self-centered, but self-focused where like you, you think of like, and, you know, because your your whole job is how do you feel? Like if you yeah. wake up the morning of the Olympics and you're like, I have a tummy ache. You're like, my whole career is fucked because I have a tummy <laughs> ache. Like, which is crazy. It is, you know? it is. Yeah. So like your whole life is around how do I feel and how do I make sure I always feel good? And it's weird to like kind of like step out of that, especially with like, a you know, if you're with a partner or somebody who's not an athlete where they're like, mm -hmm. what, what do you fucking mean that you might be a little tired? Like, can you, right, can't right, we just right. go do this thing? Yeah. And you, it's like really breaking that, but yes, it, it completely attracts this like self-centeredness and, um, you know, hysteria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Now it's uh, during this period after you come out here and you're and you're uh, on your own figuring this out, having these ups and downs. Uh, you, you come out at one point, and that mm-hmm. must have been, I mean, because you're the you're you know the first, which it seems so it seems so crazy in today. Like to look back mm-hmm. ten years now, it just it's unbelievable. Like the notion yeah. that. Like Barack Obama said, well, I don't really believe in gay marriage. I believe in civil unions. And, you know, like, yes, you do. You do. Believe. Like, you can't. Right. You just can't say it because you're waiting for everybody to catch up. And then, like, now, you know, gay marriage, you just, you know, I just did a thing on it. On, we, we we did a game show together. Uh, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but I was on another game show and, like, a lady that they had, you know, a, a a fan playing at home and she just, yeah. you know, was like very casually talked about, well, I'm, I want to say hello to my son and his husband, you know, and just like, just how matter of fact that is now and yeah. how that's 10 years, you know, I know. But so it's like, but for you to do that at the time is such a huge deal. And do you, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about it before, but do you, can you share like some of the thought process of that and, sure. and the timing I mean, of you it? Know, I think like, um, you know, I'm a figure skater and like ever since I could remember, uh, you know, I was called like a faggot at school and all of that stuff. And so like, I always was like, no, no, I'm not, which shock to me. (laughs) I was and am currently still doing that faggot things. Um, (laughs) and so, um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you could see me in fourth grade, it would make sense why Matt Damon was still saying the F word like um, about until about a month ago. Um, <laughs> so I <laughs> until he learned that he shouldn't from, right, his, from children, his daughter, from, yeah, his from his from an children. Es- yeah, from an essay his daughter wrote, which is honestly that is camp and that I should have someone should have dressed as that to the Met Gala that year. Um, Matt Damon's daughter wrote. The essay, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I think being a figure skater, especially if you're a boy in it, you're just like always, like you're teased about being gay or whatever. And, um, you know, there obviously, and of course, there's like a lot of, there are gay people involved in figure skating. There aren't as many as you might think, but there's a bunch Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like in all sort of like anything that has some sort of like the arts attached to it, I think it attracts young LGBTQ plus people for the fact that there's this performance element of like, I can be something else. Mm -hmm. I can like distract from me and I can do this other thing that's like, oh, look, but look at this. Right. I think that's what really attracts it. It's not like you know, you're a young gay kid and you're like, I just love the sound of blades crunching the ice and that attract, <laughs> that's like a sonar for being yeah, yeah. queer. And so um, I, I think that like, especially in my sport, um, there are like other queer people, not a ton, but there's a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, those are scientific numbers, by the way. Not I know. a ton, but I, a bunch. Right, right, right. That's what, so, the, that's what the Kinsey Institute is saying these days. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Kinsey, a great skater, by the way. <laughs> um, and so, um, w- 
when I decided to the first, so like I didn't come out myself until I was like in my t- early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came out to my friends and everybody was fine. And my family, everybody was great. Like I was very lucky at a really pretty easy coming out. Um, and then when I didn't make that Olympic team in 2014, um, you know, there's a lot going through my head, um, getting ready for that because it was, and this is, you know, a sign of my own privilege, uh, that like in 2014, those games were in Russia. And right before the Olympics, um, Vladimir Putin came out with this like anti-gay propaganda law that like gay propaganda was illegal in Russia. And nobody knew and still doesn't know, like, what, what does that mean? Yeah. And there was some like pressure to talk about it. And, um, what we were told was that like, if we said anything, nobody knew what would happen to us upon arrival in Russia. If we were to go and say something, um, that, you know, we didn't know if we'd be putting our families in danger, if we'd be putting like our teammates in danger. So nobody really said anything. And that really weighed on me. Um, cause I was like, should I have said something? Should I not say something? Like, should I say something after? Um, and at the end of the day, I just, ne- I didn't make the team. So it didn't matter. But after that, and when I started, like was living in this like fuck it moment of my life, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to redo the things that I wish I had done differently. And so one of them was like, I want to be like, I want to be like an out athlete. And if the, if like my scores or something, if that like suffers because of that, that's stupid. And like, mm-hmm. fuck it, whatever. I don't give a shit at this point. Right, right. And do you want to be a part of <clears throat> a, of an activity that would work that way? Right. You know and what I, I didn't, mean? I, yeah, absolutely. I didn't. And I was like, this shouldn't matter. Um, A lot of the like hesitation I got of like being like a young gay kid and like, don't be so like girly or this or that um, came from like other gay people in the sport. And I really Mm. feel that it was a huge projection of their own insecurities of like maybe something they went through. And I think in a weird and twisted way, they were trying to protect me from something that they thought would be there. Yeah. Um, But at the, but I was just at a point where I was like, I don't like if, if you really believe that, then that really sucks. But like, I, I'm going to do this because like, I'm going to just like, I'm going to be, as authentic to myself as possible. And so like I came out and it was obviously not a big deal. I was old. Um, not really a favorite really to make an old. Olympic team. My God. Very, old. Jesus right. Christ. <laughs> I mean, like when you're competing with people who are still covered in like umbilical cord, um, <laughs> you do feel Birth a bit juice. Old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they're doing stem cell research on the cord that's still attached <laughs> to you, you're like, oh, you all, I am old. I could be the scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> you know, old, I was like in my late twenties. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you and know, what is that? I went, what is that? What is that coming out to the world? What form does that take? So An email? I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, yes. all. For real, though, like now coming out would be like a tweet or something. And then it's like official, like a a statement or something. So what I wanted to do, because this was a lot like, I don't know, this was like 2014 or 15. So like, you know, 
if you go on my Twitter at 2015, I was tweeting like vague statuses of like amazing day. <laughs> like that's what we did in 2015. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, Starbucks is just my favorite. Ah, yeah. And you're like, that's it. And you're like, nobody was putting out statements. Like that, like Twitter has turned into something completely different right, now. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, what I decided to do was like, I called the president of us figure skating and I told them what I wanted to do. And they had, there's like a figure skating magazine that comes out once a month. And they were like, we're behind you. We'll, we want to do whatever like we can to help. Like they were so great. And I did an interview and I just mentioned like my coming out experience in my interview. Yeah. And that was just how it was. It was like tucked in the middle of like some interview and nobody said anything for a like, you know, probably until a month after that magazine had already been out because it was just like hidden in there. Right. And, um, you know, a bunch of my peers and friends were like, you know, that's awesome. Great. Congrats. You know, they already all knew. Yeah. Um, and then like my first competitions I did, it was a little like odd with a few of the officials because I think one, they all knew, obviously, because like it's, you know, it's a small world. Um, but there was this little like almost sort of like like funeral like aura around it for a minute. But I was skating really well. And so like at that point, there really wasn't anything to do like and then everybody forgot about it. So mm. Um, you know, it was, it was not to like a big fanfare, um, especially until I was like at an Olympics, which at that point I had already n not even cared about it for so long. And then all of really? a sudden it was this, like, you're the first out American for an winter games. And then it was like, all of a sudden a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, which had, you did, which had never been. And you had never thought about it before that. Like you didn't think of being like the first of anything, right? Yeah. It just was, no. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. And was there, was there, did you start like sort of a trend of people being more open and honest? Uh, I would in, say in that various... like, I would say that like <clears throat> in, in figure skating, um, in my sport, I was the only out athlete and there were, there were only three out athletes in all of the winter sports across all of the whole like U.S. team. Um, there was a female speed skater. Um, her name's Brittany Bow, and she's you should sh follow her. She's amazing because she's a favorite for a gold this Olympics in Beijing. Okay. Um, uh, Gus Kenworthy, and it was myself. So um, there was just the three of us. Mm -hmm. And in the last four years on Team USA, there are so many more out athletes. Yeah. And um, it's just there. It's incredible. I mean, like, and I really was inspired for like you know in sports female athletes have been the real pioneer of like lgbtq plus representation it's like so many of the tennis players the you know the women's softball team women's basketball like there are so mm -hmm. many incredible out and amazing representation in those sports and they've been out for you know ever yeah. And it's it's like from their lead and like people like Jason Collins and stuff in basketball. And like that's I got like so much inspiration from that. And I mean, even in like um, the last few years, like Carl Nassib from the NFL. And uh, most recently, there was uh, a, a kid from Australia who's like a professional, uh, you know, footballer who's now out. And he's yeah. the only like so much more in the last four years um, and it's it's amazing because like it's something that you struggle with because I think like as a gay person in sports, you feel like you'll be treated or judged differently. But 
the world is moving forward and it's something that you want to share so that like you feel like you can be closer to your teammates or people around you. And it really is like a non-issue. Yeah. It really is not, not important. Yeah. 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 It, it, it is, it is like one of those areas where if you, I mean, you don't have to try hard to feel pessimistic. All you have to do is read, mm. you know, right. just, or turn <laughs> right. on the TV to any news right. channel and feel like, oh my God, you know, uh, but there, it is one of those areas where it does feel like, okay, we're, you know, we're doing it. We are sort of becoming more accepting and we're moving forward and, you know, will probably homophobia will be eradicated by the time the seas really start to boil. And uh, <laughs> right. which could be any day now. It'll be so great to have <laughs> <laughs> so, no homophobia, but be living in a under, <laughs> like under a canoe turned upside down just to get out of the sun. <laughs> uh, yeah, it will be. It really will be like vacation at that point. <laughs> well, now, um, after you retire, do you, I mean, do you have opportunities coming to you as you get close to that last Olympics? And was it the Olympics where you're like, when you finish that Olympics in, uh, in what was it, 2018? Mm -hmm. And then you're, is that like kind of like, okay, I've, you know, there's no point in continuing this because... Well, it was like I had never planned on one. I've always, I've always like, and like I said earlier, like m part of my like focus was like entertaining people. Yeah. And I think like I was always kind of like the class clown of like all of our camps and everything. And I needed to poke fun at myself, especially like when I was young, because like, you know, I would get, you know, teased and made fun of all the time. And then I could, I was always able to turn it around so that mm -hmm. people were laughing with me and not at me. And I was like, this is something I'm really good at. And I could walk into any room with any kind of person and walk away. And I know that the, they'll be like, oh, that's my friend, Adam. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know I can do that. Especially, you know, like I just, I, it was like part of my coping skills of like, you know, when you take the Greyhound bus, I'm, I always go back to the Greyhound bus. But when you take it and like someone sits down next to you and they're like, can I borrow your phone? I forgot to make my call. And you're like, your call. It's like they just got out of prison. And so it's like, yeah, I can make I'll work it out with anyone. Yeah, yeah. And so <clears throat> um, when I got to an Olympics, um, I think a lot of athletes are don't really get to show their personality or like joke around. It's a serious event. Um, but I had the opportunity to do that. And I really took advantage of it. And I got to like experience this part of me that I really never did, whereas I got to do that in front of like a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so after the Olympics, I did have all of these like, you know, they were just kind of like one off little opportunities to like, you know, be a guest judge here, or, you know, do something like this or like a game show or something. Right. And um, I really enjoyed it and um, was like, I really want to like pursue this. Like I love I've always loved making people laugh. I've always loved entertaining people. And those opportunities, like they kept coming and some of them got like were bigger opportunities than others. But like they've all been something that I've really liked. And it's been really fun because none of them have anything to do with my skating. Mm -hmm. um, but all of the lessons I've learned from sports, it's like I've brought them all into everything that I do now where it's like, yeah, I love to work hard. I love to get prepared. I And I like, you know, I love all of that stuff. 
What was uh, Dancing with the Stars like? I mean, it's kind of a natural, I mean, to go from skating to dancing. But what was that experience like? Because I just, <laughs> I get, that show is so strange to me. It's like, A, it, it's like from a different era or even... It's like when you go to Europe and you watch TV and it's like Saturday night and it's very know, that it's it's like some it's weird very variety Saturday show where night in Europe. Yeah. A guy in a lobster suit hitting an old lady with a rubber hammer. And you're like, <laughs> this is primetime entertainment. You know, it's um, crazy to me that it's like a show that's like still on. And I don't think it's going away. Yeah. Like. Uh, it's um one it's crazy and it's like bizarre but it's so i know why people like get sucked into it when they do it because it's like it's so it's so challenging but it's so fun and you become really close with all of the people who do the show because like it's just one even if you've like performed or if, if you're a skater and you're like doing all the the dances and everything it's not like you're like learning how to like be a dancer yeah. I would compare it to like if you learned how to speak one sentence in a language and you spend all week to learn that one sentence and then the next week you just learn a new sentence in a different language. So it's not yeah. like you learn how to speak Chinese. Right. It's like you only know how to say seven words that you figured out how to do right. within a week. So it's like you're it's really like you just like learn these steps specifically and then like you just learn different steps the next week. So it's like your mind is like all over the place. But I mean, it is the only time and I never thought I'd compete against Tanya Harding, but I it's the only time I ever did. <laughs> oh, were you scared? Uh, <laughs> I was scared. You, and skating, she's like our boogeyman, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. We, we do not talk about her. We do not like acknowledge her existence. And then all of a sudden there she was in camo head to toe. <laughs> oh, well you overcame. Um, I did. And yeah. you won. That, I mean, yeah. That, was that, I mean, that ride must be weird as week after week. And that like that, you know, that you just must feel like you're going a hundred miles an hour, at, you know, and, and could wipe out at any minute. Totally. And I think like, <clears throat> I think like as an athlete, you see other athletes do it and it's usually right after their own Olympic experience. Um, so it feels like part of their Olympics. And so for a few athletes, like this is something that goes from Olympics right into this. So it all kind of jumbles into this one sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's this like whirlwind of like, being in this crazy bubble, you get home, so many things are different in your life. And then you like go and you start to do, go into this other like small, like little bubble. So it's, it's all a lot at once, but it's like, it's v very bizarre, but very, very fun. I, you should absolutely do it, Andy. Oh, I would no, vote no, for uh, you every, oh yes. I uh, know. No, I'm going to no. call Tyra. No, <laughs> I'll call her first and tell her <laughs> don't pick up his call. <laughs> well, what are you doing with yourself these days? I mean, what's an average kind of what's an average week for you? Or is it kind of different? Do you have like a regular gig or? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's totally different because like sometimes like, it, you know, like the gigs aren't all the time. I don't. Yeah. Have, um, but uh, uh, my most consistent thing is that um, I do a show on MTV called Messiness. 
mm-hmm. and um, it's like uh, me and Snooky and Tori Spelling and this amazing comedian named Teddy Ray, and it's the four of us, and it's basically it's like a spinoff of Ridiculousness. So it's like we're on a panel and we just like go back and forth with like jokes and stuff. So it's incredibly fun. It's like the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and um, working with Snooky is obviously everything that I thought it would be um, and more. And if you do look kind of closely, that is her mugshot um, in Up my in the corner. Office. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we all have different religious vices and that would be mine <laughs> in the corner. Over yeah, there. nice. Yeah, my daughter, my daughter, I, I never, you know, I mean, we would have people from uh, Jersey Shore on the show and so forth. And, you know, and there was, you know, when the show was on, it was very popular. But my daughter has, like, she has, she's a completist. She's like, I think we've seen every single Jersey Shore thing now. And I just kind of by osmosis kind of got caught up with that. I never watched it oh, yeah. when it's not her. But there definitely have been times when she's been at my house and I'd be like, well, we could watch Jersey Shore if you want, you know, just to. <laughs> Um, but it is like it's just there is something just so fascinating about about all of those people and just like oh yeah yeah and i mean i will say that like um like first of all tori is is nuts but she's the best so funny yeah so nice like she's one of the best people i've ever met one of the easiest and best people to ever work with yeah teddy is so funny Teddy has to literally deal with the three of us being so stupid and so insane. <laughs> um, and he's so great. And and Nicole is just like, she's, I mean, she's a, per, a partier by career. Yeah. And she is always like, she's always on time. She's always ready. And she's like, I, I, I was incredibly impressed. But also like, it is the only job I've had where it's like, they have to pick me up and like drive me to work because by the time I go home, I'm too drunk to like drive. <laughs> and I like, it's like out of safety that I yeah, have a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's some shows where they really pour the booze down you to get you to have fun, you know? <sighs> uh, I did. I did. I did. Have you ever been on the match game that Alec Baldwin hosted? Match no, game I haven't. On? No. I did. They, I did one of them a couple of years ago and I was in the morning one. They do, they take three a day and I swear to God, I was there at 10 to nine. And there was this segment producer saying, well, help yourself to the bar. There's, there's a bar. Don't be afraid. Help go ahead and and help have your bar. And it's like, it's not even nine. And finally it's like, I, I was Judy, Judy Greer is a friend and she was there too. And we both were like, well, I guess we should just get a bloody Mary or something, you know? Right. And Neil deGrasse Tyson had to sample every single wine they had before he decided <laughs> on what Sometimes wine he would when you drink. Get, when you get to those sets, it really turns into like the airport where it's yeah. like time is irrelevant. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's very the airport bar. Yeah. It's very. Yeah, it is. And it's a weird conglomeration of like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Sure, he wants to take, taste every single kind of wine. You know, he's like, uh, what kind of wine do you have? And the guy's like, well, I have about 10. He goes like, I'd like to try it. Which, all of them. Okay. <laughs> all right, Neil deGrasse Tyson, here you go. Here are 10 wines. <laughs> all right, well, what's in your future? What do you, I mean, where do you, where do you see all this going for you? Well, 
I um I always love to like well I've I've I really love what I'm doing obviously I lo- you know I'm talking about messiness like it's like running for president like it's a career <laughs> job um, but I I really like doing stuff in like this space um I think I'd I'd really love to like act in a scripted comedy um like I I and I think like it's just a way to like apply that like competitiveness to like something else and to mm-hmm. like a project and stuff um. I love doing like, you know, live things because I love being like quick and sharp and coming back with different whatevers. But yeah, I think like the next thing I'd love to do is I'd love to like, like act in a, like some scripted show. Mm-hmm. Do you go, do you go audition for things and are you repped for that? And also like, did you take classes or anything? I mean, are you taking acting classes? Because you don't really need to. If you can fake <laughs> it, you can make it. Trust me. I, so I'm, I'm repped for it. I'm, listen, I'm repped and ready. And, um, I, you know, I've taken it, I've worked with like some acting coaches before and it's like, it's really helpful. So I, I takes like, I take some classes and stuff, but for now I've been pretty busy with like other things. Um, but yeah, it is something like I definitely am super interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what do you think? What do you think uh, the point of this of of your story up to this point is? I mean, what do you? What's the main lesson that you've taken away from? I would from- say you know that like this the stupidest saying I've ever remembered, and I think it's from like a Lululemon bag. Um, and it's like, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Yeah, and I take that into like everything that I like do and everything I go into. And I remember all of the times that like, I feel like I fell short and it was like, because I was afraid that I was going to make a mistake. And so I did. Yeah. And when I wasn't afraid, there were times I still made mistakes, but like I learned from them and I didn't repeat them. Yeah. And so like, I always go into everything, like just unafraid and just try to do like my very best in those moments. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned. Um, and I feel like people can tell it to you, but unless you like live it and do it yourself, you don't really learn it. Yeah. I think, well, and it, I think it also touches on the thing we talked about before in terms of a, a carefree kind of attitude, because I think a lot of times when people, when you go into something and you have what to someone who's more uptight might be like, oh, a, a, a fuck off attitude or a, la- a lackadaisical attitude or like you're not taking it seriously enough. To me, that's always struck like that there's a lot of fear behind that. You're not taking it serious mean, enough means you're not as scared as I am. You right. know, like, and so because it's like, well, I do take it seriously and I want it to be good, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to end my life if, you know, this show doesn't go well, or right. if, you know, uh, you, you know, take your pick of what, you know, I mean, I imagine a surgeon, it's a little more important that you succeed, but, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, you make a mistake, you fix it. It's not a big deal. But, um, it does seem that that's, that there is like, there's a strength in that. There's a strength in kind of absolving yourself of the worry of failure. Yeah, and the yeah. expectation of others. I mean, everyone is so caught up in their own shit that they aren't really paying that much attention to you. Oh, that's like I tell the, my kids when they've been self, con- you know, young people self conscious. I'm like, nobody cares. 
Like right. I, you know, they don't I can't, care. I, mean, I can't go into the grocery store wearing this. Nobody gives a shit. No one cares. No one's right. watching you. They're all thinking about you watching them. You know, yes. <laughs> they're worried about you looking at them and judging them. Yeah, it's a big like when you learn that and you can like go into everything with like that attitude. It's just so much weight off of your shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Well, Adam, thank you so much for this time. And it's been really fun talking to you. And uh, I'm I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Andy, this was um, so fun. And I do. Yeah. I want to tell you one more thing. So because you were talking about Conan and I've always loved w- watching you when you were on Conan. Oh, thank you. Um. I, I've met Conan once, and um, it was at a college signing day with Michelle Obama. Mm. Um, okay. Also, the irony of me never going to college and me telling people to go to college isn't lost on me, but hang with me for one second. <laughs> I, I'm here. Okay. So, because we were meeting Michelle Obama, we all got grouped in these, like, pockets of people to, like, go and take a picture with her, which yeah. we all wanted to do. And yeah. it's like, you know, tons of different people. And they just put random people together. So there is this photo that does exist of me, Conan, Michelle Obama, and Nina Dobrev. And it is the craziest <laughs> looking photo. And it looks like the most wild game of Fuck, Mary Kill I've ever seen. It is the most insane photo. And I just want to leave you with that parting message of me, Michelle Obama, Nina Dobrev, and, and Nina Conan Dobrev. O'Brien. Then what a yeah. foursome. What a foursome. What a foursome. Yeah, it is crazy. So I just want to leave you with that. That's my parting gift. Well, thank you. And I'm going to track that down. Uh, I would love to get a, get, you know, if you have a copy, uh, I'd love to put oh, it on I'll, the mantle. I'll mail it right over. When I get a mantle. To Burbank. Send yeah. me a mantle first and then I'll put I it will. on the mantle. <laughs> all right. Well, Adam Rippon, thank you so much. And thank you so much to all of you uh, for listening to another episode of This Thing. Uh, and we'll be back more with, uh, next week with more of This Thing. I got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.